Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This episode, I have Hallie Kim, who has become a good friend of mine on Instagram. We talk fairly regularly, and she is a great thinker, a really uh, switched on mind. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this chat. We're going to talk about her journey um, being married to a pastor uh, and going through a deconstruction and, and what that was like for her. And we're going to talk about some of her unique insights into, uh, we've had some interesting conversations online and we're going to go into this um, uh, in the podcast, hopefully, her unique insights into what makes uh, deconstruction unique for women and why is it that when we look at data on uh, church attendance, on uh, on how people feel at church, we see women feeling less comfortable, uh, less able to be open, and more likely to leave the church. And and so I think that'll be a really interesting conversation. So let's dive in with Hallie and see what she has to say. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited. Um, why don't you give yourself um, a little synopsis who you are, um, what it is you, you do day in, day out, what you're passionate about, um, and then we can kind of maybe look at some of your history. Sure. So my name is Hallie Kim. Um, I started going through a faith deconstruction experience about five years ago. Um, I have three little kids. I'm a registered nurse, um, live with my husband and my family in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and a year ago, a little over a year ago, I just felt compelled to start writing about faith deconstruction and trying to find community around that because um, it was a really hard, lonely experience. And, um, you know, I've just become more and more passionate about helping other people connect in that kind of experience and figure sure. out like what is happening to me and what does this mean? And can I ask these questions? And all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure lots of people listening are like nodding along. Yep. That that's uh -huh. my uh, experience. Like asking these questions rattling around in my head. Is this okay? Right. Even never mind. you know, what terrifying answers am I going to come up with? Um, yes. Wow. Yes. So you started that journey about five years ago. So where did you start out before that? Like, have you had a pretty static kind of, um, journey spirituality wise up until then were you in the same sort of traditions or did you have quite a meandering so um i did not grow up in church okay um my parents are not religious um at least by the time they were my parents they weren't religious and um my grandmother was very spiritual though and she just um was kind of equal opportunity like she and she had a pendant of mary that she wore around her neck but she also like read the talmud and was interested in buddhism and wow you know, just eastern philosophy in general and alternative healing modalities and um mm. so i was you know i was exposed to that growing up she had this special blessing that she would say over us before we left her house and um but my parents didn't take us to church um we celebrated easter and christmas but it wasn't it wasn't religious. And then um, I became a Christian when I was in high school through um, through Young Life. I was a big Young Life kid, which is a parachurch ministry here in the US. Um, maybe it's like, I guess it's more than the US, but um, that I was like all about that in high school. 
And I came home from camp and I told my mom like, you know, Jesus died for me. And I was like, this was like brand new information to me. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and my mom was very, very upset. Um, she, <laughs> I know now that she was all, she had already had her own deconstruction journey. Mm. Um, but I had no appreciation of that. And, you know, at this point I didn't have any like spiritual baggage. Right. Um, didn't know what that was. And I was just like, Jesus is awesome. What's your problem? <laughs> yeah. Had she and, not talked uh, about that much growing up, you know, having had had a faith and then come out of it, um, you know, there, I guess there's multiple ways as a parent, you kind of like them bring up kids, right? You can bring kids yeah. and just be like, well, well, I don't believe anything anymore or, or that. And so I'm just not going to teach right. about it, talk about it. Or a lot of people become quite militant almost on the flip side, right? And go, oh, uh -huh. I'm going to make sure my kids never fall for this deception or, or different mm -hmm. ways that people could see it. Was that a conversation that would go around the family table talking about faith and religion at all, as, as you remember? I have no memories of that coming up mm. at all before I was in high school. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think my mom, you know, hoped that I would never, you know, become influenced by religion. Um, yeah. That's just not what happened. That was like really my teenage rebellion. Yeah. Like, I used funny, to hide my Bible <laughs> under my pillow and like lie about going to church. Like there was a lot of friction between me and my mom yeah. um, around wow. me being a Christian. Um, and then, you know, I also didn't realize this at the time, but I was not only becoming a Christian, but an evangelical, mm. um, you know, got involved in church and um, the, the EPC was the denomination. Um, and, you know, did campus ministries in college and was just like really on fire for Jesus and all of that. And then, um, I started dating my husband when I was um, in my mid twenties and he was a pastor. Oh, wow. He is a okay. pastor. And, was, um, he, was he a pastor of a church you were a part of or had you kind of like, well, kind of shopped kind of around to so another the church. Very first, the very first church I started attending when I was 16 was the same church that my husband was eventually the youth pastor of. Okay. But he wasn't there when I was there. Um, so we were introduced by mutual friends. We start dating. And then I, you know, started going back to that church that I had been a part of when I was in high school. Sure. Um, dating a pastor is super weird. <laughs> People are just are strange about it. Um, you know, I, and I not having come from a religious background was really ignorant to like the pastor's wife thing. Like right. I didn't know that was a thing. And I thought that was something I could just sort of opt out of. I was like, oh, that's silly. Like, whatever. Yeah, he's a pastor. So what? Um, and it wasn't really until we got married and, you know, I became immersed in like ministry world by being, you know, by virtue of being married to him mm. that I started to see like, oh, no, like people have some really strong ideas about like who I'm supposed to be and how I'm yeah. supposed to act and what I'm supposed to do. Um, which was really, um, just honestly shocking to me. Mm. And, um, <laughs> and I'm not really so much for like social norms and like following rules. <laughs> and, uh, so it didn't, it didn't work super well. Um, 
And then when I had my second child, so my oldest is mm. a boy. And then when I had my second, a girl, this was about five years ago. And that's when the wheels kind of started coming off for me. Um, at that point, I was asking questions about women and women's roles and why mm. can't women be pastors and what's that about again? And, you know, the idea of submitting, you know, to one's husband and all of that, like it was the theology that I had been willing to accept for myself, I couldn't right. for my daughter. Yeah, mm. gosh. That's that's mm. a common thing I come across is, is people having a, a daughter. We had someone on um, well, probably about a month ago now who was talking about that they themselves and even their, their wife to some degree who was quite outspoken about, you know, women's rights, uh, quite feminist mm. kind of um, uh, mm -hmm. views, and yet was kind of willing to kind of check that at the door you know, a yeah. few times a uh -huh. week. And yet uh -huh. when they had a daughter, um, I think they only have one child, but when they had the daughter, it was like, hold on, I'm willing to do this, but am I willing for my kid to do this in 20 yeah. years, five years, God knows how early, like, right? Totally. Um, so what was it, do you think, that, that how, how do you, how did you kind of talk yourself out of that being an issue for yourself, right? Because you obviously yeah. had some conflicting uh, opinions mm -hmm. on what a woman should be doing as a pastor's yeah. wife versus what was required of. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, as is, you know, standard for evangelicals, I thought the Bible was inerrant. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I was one of those Christians who just marked up her Bible like crazy. Like, you know, I was, when I was given my first Bible in college or in high school, it was like, you know, this is God's love letter to you. It was, and I'm such a romantic by nature. Like I just, mm. I loved that idea. Like, oh, this was, this is for me and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I mean, and I remember writing like next to, um, you know, in second Timothy or, or first Timothy, is it first Timothy too? Yeah. I can't even remember anymore. Yeah. Um, about, you know, a woman should not, you know, teach a man and blah, blah. And I, I wrote in the margin, like, help God. Like, I know I'm supposed to like agree with this or be wow. okay with this because it's inerrant and it's your word, but I'm, but I'm not. And this is like, this is mean and this is painful and I don't like this. Mm. Um, so there, there was this weird tension between, um, what I knew I was supposed to think and believe and what I really thought and believe. Sure. Um, and because I didn't grow up in church, I think that um, like my serving of the Kool-Aid, if you will, was not right. as deep as, you know, tall of a glass. Um, and, you know, I'd seen, you know, my grandmother had modeled that there were other ways to think and believe. Um, I was quite aware um, because of my, my family that um, not everyone was Christian and that not mm. everyone agreed with Christianity. Um, but if, you know, it had been and was and is so meaningful to me um, that I, and I didn't, there was no concept of like um, permission though to yeah. like really wrestle with scripture and be, you know, like you're not supposed to pick and choose like that whole thing. Mm. Um, so, and there had been a couple of other things leading up to the birth of my daughter that in hindsight were also um, kind of like chinks in the armor. 
Um, like I used to be a doula, so working with okay, women yeah. in labor, you know, giving birth to their children. Um, it's, you know, really fulfilling work. And um, I had this really traumatic experience in which um, one of my doula clients died um, wow. in the immediate postpartum. And her baby died too. And it was Gosh. incredibly traumatic. Um, and I happened to know that she um, was was an atheist. We had talked about it that day, like when she was in early labor. Wow. So then she dies and her baby dies. And according to my theology, I was supposed to believe that she was in hell and her baby was in heaven. Mm. And that was, um, that was excruciating. Yeah. And I was just like, this is so wrong. This is horrible. And, you know, through being a nurse and a doula, you know, I was very passionate about the importance of like the mother baby bond and that connection. And mm. um, I was also pregnant with my first child. Like, it was just like a lot. And I was yeah, like, this wow. is not okay. Um, and a, my therapist at the time who, who was a Christian, you know, introduced the idea of postmortem salvation to me, like the possibility of that. And mm. at the time that was enough for me to be like, you know, okay, like maybe, maybe there's a way, um, that this mother and baby won't be separated forever. Um, but that was, you know, that had a pretty big impact on me of kind of shaking my foundation. And then um, a few years later, when I started really questioning women's roles and women's submission, um, I don't know, just in hindsight, it feels like some things lined up that made me open to those questions. Sure. Maybe created a few yeah. cracks in that foundation. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I read um, Sarah Bessie's book, Jesus okay, Feminist. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me really mad before it kind of set me free because <laughs> I was like, oh, great, Sarah, like this sounds awesome, but you know, the Bible doesn't agree with you. Yeah. And you know, I'm married to a complementarian pastor. Like, what do you want me to do, Sarah? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that did just... you, did you feel trapped in some senses in that um, dynamic? Cause I know that um, that's a common dynamic when people start to, open up themselves a bit to questioning or at least start realizing some of my answers aren't as con they don't satisfy in the same way so i don't feel free to question but i at least know my answers aren't making me as like complicit and happy and nod along every day um but there's a lot at stake of my question it's not just you know mm -hmm. even like the bible or my relationship with god it's my relationship with my husband it's my husband's job oh, it's yeah. oh yeah you know there's a whole dynamic especially for people like pastors pastors uh, families like yes that's a big dynamic yes i mean i think faith deconstruction is really hard and scary for anyone but when you are a professional christian or married mm -hmm. to one or the child of one it's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much more on the line. Um, yeah, because, you know, whether, whether they should or not, people associate you with the person you're married to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so how did I reflect on my husband? And I mean, <laughs> I didn't start writing about deconstruction until after we were until after my husband was no longer working in vocational ministry. And there's sure. a reason for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I just was terrified and I, you know, knew that I could not be my 
authentic self. Um, and it just got worse and worse and worse. Like at first, you know, I was just, you know, one of those feminists, but then I started questioning, you know, the evangelical teaching on homosexuality and then abortion. And then the inerrancy of scripture fell apart for me and just on and on and on. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, some other thing, a big other component that pushed me towards deconstruction was um, a lot of ministry trauma and pain. Um, my husband lost his job at that church where he was working as the youth pastor. And right. um, they just were just running out of money. He was the third full-time staff person that was cut. Um, and after he was let go, they were finally able to get financially stable. But that was, you know, a huge upheaval. They were such an important community to us. We had to sell our home. We had to move in with my in-laws. Mm. I was a new mom. Like, it was just really upsetting. Yeah. And um, made for a lot of really hard transition. And then from that time until he had another full-time ministry job was three years. Wow. So, like we're having babies. We had a miscarriage. I'm working part-time jobs. He's working part-time jobs. He is searching for pastoral work every day all across America. Um, and that was, that was really hard. Um, Sounds it. Mm -hmm. he had an interim ministry position at a, another church during that time. Um, that had some hurt attached to it also. Mm. Um, and then we, fi he finally got a, um, offer to be an associate pastor out in Phoenix, Arizona. So we moved out there. Um, and this is, this is 2016. This was two weeks before Trump was elected. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, which shocked me to my core because, mm. you know, I'm a, middle-class white woman like i didn't right. think trump was going to get elected i was right. i think it shocked a lot of his followers right yeah. <laughs> even people that mm -hmm. were ticking that in the poll booth were still i think a lot of them were shocked oh it actually happened yeah. yes and i just like fell apart um and you know the fact that 81 percent of evangelicals voted for trump i was just like what is this madness mm. like this it's like Trump is the antithesis of Jesus. Like what is happening here? Um, so that really, that accelerated my deconstruction. And then during the time we were in Phoenix was when I really started taking apart like theology, you know, like yeah. atonement theory and heaven and hell. And mm. yeah, it does <laughs> all seem, the pieces. It seems really interesting to me. And I, I'm not surprised by it. I, I say frequently on the podcast, I mean, most of the audience listening to this and watching this mm. are in America. Um, yeah. I'm from Europe. I've lived in America for four years. Uh, I, I was in America for two election cycles for both of Obama's um, uh -huh. wins. Um, but um, so I understand some of the dynamics and I was in a very heavy, hard, right-leaning, um, very pro-Republican, very kind of uh, mm. conflated Republican is Christian uh, churches. So I, I kind of yeah. understand a lot of the dynamics going on there. Um, but still as a European, I'm frequently kind of like, what is happening? Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, in some ways, it doesn't surprise me at all. But in other ways, it, it blows my mind. 
how much it has um, kick-started people's deconstruction. Trump yes. like exploded this for a lot of people. Like yes. so many people sort of like, you know, just tiptoeing in the shallows going, well, maybe there's some questions. Ah, maybe there's some stuff in my church I'm not uh-huh. entirely on board with. Ah, I'm not sure about that, but I do agree with most of this or that. And and it feels like that was just a like tsunami that hit them while they were playing in the shallows. Yes. You know what I mean? They, they just like got whacked with it. Um, yes. and suddenly just lost almost all belief in in their movement um you know a movement that would say mm-hmm. well yeah he said if you're rich you can grab underage girls by their genitals and it doesn't matter and that's fine and it's part of the perks of being rich but but the thing is he holds some of these christian values that mm-hmm. means we can ignore that or mm-hmm. you know, the, the ability to pick and choose when yes uh, to be honest with you, the, the Christian um, community as a whole has not been the most graceful in that regard, generally speaking, right? They will write off a lot of politicians over like one tiny thing done anywhere. Oh, absolutely. Right. But when they really want someone, they'll mm. they'll excuse almost anything. Um, anything. And anything. that was very jarring for a lot of people, I think, that to yes. see it just so explicitly done. Absolutely. Um, really, yeah. really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another part of my story is that my church background and my husband's ministry background is in what I would call like soft evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, Explain I that mean, to me. what, what, so, what would you say soft evangelicalism looks like? Just everything is a lot more subtle. Like okay. you're never going to hear anything like explicitly um, derogatory against like the LGBTQ community, for example. You're going to hear about how you should have them over for dinner and love your gay neighbors. Um, You're never going to hear anything about how women can't lead. You're just never going to see a woman elder or pastor, but we're not going to talk about it ever. Um, So there's just so much that is unsaid Mm. um, and that you just kind of have to absorb through osmosis when you're, when you're there. Um, And there's sort of a um, like a surface level acknowledgement of like the harm the church has done and like the importance of social justice in some areas, usually like um, racial justice, which of course is okay. hugely important. But um, you know that might be expressed through like tokenism or you know maybe a sermon here and there when it's sort of like it would look really bad not to address it. Right. Um, but not like a really deep ongoing digging in to like um, colonization and how have we whitewashed Mm. Jesus and like like that's not really happening in these spaces Um, so just everything is a lot more covert I would say and when I when Trump was elected and I read the statistic about the 81 percent I mean, I started like furiously Googling, like, what is an evangelical? How do you know if you're an evangelical? Like, I didn't know Mm. that I was one. And it was kind of hard to figure out. Um, And I find that a lot of evangelicals don't use that word. Like, it's more people that are critiquing evangelicals that use that word. But, um, and I also, like, I had no idea that, that Christianity was such a big tent because, mm. you know, I was really only exposed to this one vein of thinking. And that was something that was really upsetting to me as I deconstructed, like, 
wait a second, there's, there's two ways to think about women, you know, complementarian mm -hmm. and egalitarian. And there's like seven atonement theories. Like you guys never mentioned that. I think that's a problem. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, yeah. and there's also the, um, again, not usually said explicitly, but the implication that like those Christians over there, you know, Catholics or um, mainline denominations, like they're not really Christian. Yeah. And um, yeah, just without knowing any better, it was like, this is the way to be a Christian. So if you're not doing this, then you're not, then you're not Christian. Mm. Um, and I just had no idea that that's, that's evangelicalism. That's not yeah. the whole of Christianity. Um, so I remember just, being in evangelical church. It was always painted as though those other people that were like, oh, they, they say they're Christian, but uh -huh. I'm not saying they're not going to be in heaven, but they're not going to have the best seats, you know, or whatever, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing or like, you know, yeah. um, well, yeah, they're Christian, but they don't have like a real relationship or whatever, like kind of things that would yeah. be thrown around. It almost was always kind of like, um, it was also like kind of put out there that they were like this tiny fringe group of like 20 people that have deceived themselves. But, you know, they're like, we'll probably let them kind of come in anyway, because they're not, they're not evil. They're not the atheists or the whatever, the new right, ages, but, right, but right. they're just misguided. And there's just a few of them who've just got a bit confused and they'll come back and forth. Right. But like almost, actually, look how precious they are. Yeah. <laughs> and then you take a step back and you go, holy crap, that's like a huge portion of Christianity. Like, you know, Yes. huge percentage of Christians are not mm. evangelical. Like right. the vast majority in the grand the scheme of majority. things globally are not evangelical Christians. Evangelical right, Christians right. are growing more than anyone else um, right now. But um, yeah, like you, Catholics, kind of a big movement, right? You know, <laughs> that like, you know, the mainline church is called the mainline for a reason, right? It's right. like, there's a lot of people in those movements. Um, yes, and uh, yes. yeah, it's just, it always fascinated me. Like it was this kind of like, maybe if we just don't acknowledge that these are big movements, no one will ever uh -huh. actually look at them as though they might have something to say. Um, right, right. It's, it's fascinating. It's really, because mm -hmm. they have no problem. Most of these other movements have no other problem acknowledging other people having different views they might disagree uh -huh. with them still again uh -huh. but they're not going right. to pretend they're like some you know tiny movement somewhere like you know right pretty obvious about in my experience at least of being around people in these these movements but uh -huh. yeah it always uh -huh. was in my evangelical kind of upbringing it was very much like oh yeah but like that's just a few people and they don't really understand christianity or they don't have a faith right. in jesus or a right. relationship with jesus or whatever that was yeah. So yeah. I'm intrigued by, you know, you talk about this kind of concept of soft evangelicalism. It doesn't really talk about these issues. They kind of just mm -hmm. e expect you to kind of pick up on it. And maybe mm -hmm. if you don't pick up on it, maybe if somehow someone who's gay comes along to church and is still gay a year in, they might like be like, all right, we really need to kind of start mm -hmm. addressing and fixing this. But generally speaking, it's a, you'll pick this up on your own. Um, you figure it out on your own. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Maybe if that, that girl in youth group is starting to go, Oh, why can't I be a leader? We'll pull her aside and go, we'll look at the Bible verses. Let's, let's see why you can't be, but we're not going to have a whole series on why women can't teach. Um, right. Yes. What, what was their approach in politics? Cause I know in the, in the church I explicitly was involved in, 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 in America, I've, I've traveled to hundreds of churches now in America, but the church I was heavily uh -huh. involved in, um, 
you know, you've got all sorts of laws about what you're allowed and not allowed to do, which mm-hmm. apparently no one gives a crap about, um, right? Because they all do it anyway. Um, yeah. But there was things like they would say, they would be like, well, I'm not telling you how to vote this year. Uh-huh. Not telling uh-huh. you how to vote. But I know for me that the only thing I'll vote on is abortion. And so you mm-hmm. have two candidates there and only one of them supports abortion uh-huh. and one of them rejects it. So I'm not telling yeah. you how to vote. I'm not telling you what the godly way to vote is, but I know mm. God doesn't support abortion. And like, you're like, right. I'm sitting there going, these guys are telling people how to vote, right? You, you guys right. acknowledge <laughs> that we're being told how to vote right now, right? And everyone's like, oh no, right. be very careful not to right. influence your political uh, 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 vote or anything. And I'm like, uh-huh. you are kidding, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and just the, the weird dynamics of that, but how, how do soft evangelicals engage with that political world? Yeah. Is again, that very subtle? Is it, mm-hmm. hopefully it's more, if, if, they're, if they're trying to be subtle, hopefully they're more subtle than that pastor was. Oh, much um, more subtle. Yeah. Right. Um, and and I, can, I can give them credit in this area to, to some extent, because in my context, there was no problem saying things like, God is not a Republican or a Democrat. Um, there was definitely an acknowledgement that like both political parties get some things right. Um, like being opposed to abortion might be acknowledged as something that Republicans get right. But then they would also be willing to say, but care for the poor is something that Democrats get right. Mm. So what was really prized wasn't voting one way or the other, but almost right. being like, above politics Mm. like they're both they both have some good things about them but they're both also broken and you know the the third way our way jesus's way is bigger and better than both of these um so and this was never said but i feel like it kind of breeds apathy sure um you know because they're, they're both, they both have problems. They both have good things, but they both have problems. Um, and sort of this sense of being like above both major party platforms. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Really interesting. And it's definitely, uh, mm-hmm. you'll hear it again and again and again is people saying, well, Jesus wasn't political or mm-hmm. uh, I wish you could have a big argument about that all day. I mean, you know, the guy was, yeah killed for being an insurrectionist but um, but you know like i i I can agree that you know jesus wasn't trying to run for political office and you know like i i I get some of the dynamics of that um Mm -hmm. but yeah it does seem a a common thread in a lot of um parts of christianity this kind of thing of like well you know yeah like they both have something right they both have stuff wrong but ultimately neither represent god neither are building god's kingdom and so we should build god's kingdom and let that you know Mm -hmm. give to caesar what's caesar's and give to god what's god's we're over here god's people let caesar play over there Mm -hmm. um which again i kind of understand i understand some of the anachronistic kind of like concepts in that as well Um, there's a lot to be said um for some of those kind of beliefs like i get it as well i felt it as well um but it can be very damaging as well. You know, voter apathy mm-hmm. is, is a, a very uh, problematic element as well. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's really interesting. Very interesting. And so mm-hmm. you are, uh, I'm trying to kind of backtrack because we just dove into that big time, but I was just yeah, really interested. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, this um, movement of kind of soft evangelism, this is where you're 
deconstructing, you're figuring yourself out. Your husband's, you know, gone from like having a secure job to not, to maybe having some interim stuff. And he's Mm -hmm. finally got another position in Phoenix. Yes. Trump gets elected. You're going, what is happening? Is this really my, is my tradition that? Uh Is that what we believe? Is that what we support? Mm Um, what was it? Um, what was it that was going on there that, that, that caused you to be so concerned about that? Cause I know a lot of people have lots to say about Trump that are positive and negative. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that you can say lots about him that are positive and negative. Right. And I have my own opinions on that. I'm not going to overly get into that, but what was it to, to you that, cause it was quite early on as well, right? We hadn't, we didn't have, you know, four years of Trump's um, mm-hmm. office, uh, uh, you know, action his action in office is his his politics we just had this kind of like can campaign and maybe his history on tv and the newspapers whatever else he was famous Mm -hmm. for you know on Mm -hmm. home alone or whatever um (laughs) what what was it at that point that you were because i mean this was a big thing right i remember i was in america um when he was inaugurated and the women's marches were going on and things like you were not alone in having a extremely adverse kind of like effect to Mm -hmm. trump winning and, yeah. and that causing you to question a lot about your, your country, your faith, your mm-hmm. whatever. But, but what were some of those things that you, you say, like, he's the antithesis, he's the opposite of Jesus in so many ways. Right. What was yeah. that for you? Um, it, it was a lot of things that happened during the time he was running, you know, mm. like when he, he said that Mexicans were rapists. Um, well, he mocked that, um, that reporter um, who, I can't recall specifically, but he, the reporter had some sort of disability. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And he, he mocked this person at a rally, um, you know, for laughs. Um, I mean, the huge one for me was the access Hollywood tape, you know, when he said, Mm. you know, grab him by the pussy when you're famous, they let you do it, that whole thing. Um, and then, you know, when he got elected, I mean, I had the same nightmare three weeks in a row, which was, Trump, the sexual perpetrator, like coming into my house and assaulting me in my, in the middle of the night. And I had that nightmare every night for three weeks. Um, like to me, it was clear that he was a very bad, dangerous man. Mm. Um, also perhaps, you know, mentally ill, um, and needing help, but definitely not someone who should be leading the country. Yeah. Um, and I think my, you know, my own just personal, um, kind of like feeling of displacement at that time just added to it because I was already in a vulnerable place. Like we had just moved across the country and honestly, I, I knew when we visited this church, cause you know, when you're interviewing for a pastoral job, there's rounds of interviews and then they yeah. want to fly you out to visit for a weekend. And of course you bring your wife with you because it's a package mm-hmm. deal, right? <laughs> that yeah, whole yeah. thing. Um, so we had visited this church in June and I, I knew intuitively that it was not a good fit. Um, but I just felt, I just didn't have the heart to like, um, re- like not to not let it happen. Um, we had visited a different church, um, way out in Squim, Washington, which is like, you know, the far corner of the Pacific Northwest. Sure. 
a few months earlier and um i really didn't like that church and i was like no way i'm not going here it's <laughs> middle of nowhere the pastor is you know so fake like we're not going there um and by the time you know this phoenix opportunity comes around it had been three years yeah three years really tough. and like i mean like just practically like we needed money you know we had two mm -hmm. little kids it was it was really hard um yeah. And, you know, they wanted to give him a job and he wanted a job and he needed a job. And, um, and I wanted him to be happy and I hoped that I was wrong. Mm. Um, unfortunately I, I wasn't, Yeah. but, um, yeah, so, so we're there and I think I, I know on some level that this isn't going to go well. Um, and you know my mom had just left like she helped us move and then she left a few days before the election and you know i'm alone in this new place with these little kids and i and a church full of trumpers mm -hmm. <laughs> um and I, you know i was just lonely and yeah. terrified um and then so that church was i was more like your traditional evangelical sure. like a lot more outspoken about politics and like of course you're supposed to be a republican and yay we're so excited about president trump and um and that dynamic was alive and well there and um so that was that was tough um how did your husband really kind of navigate a lot of this because yeah by the sounds of it he's not deconstructing right now right right is, is that right. safe to say or is or is he or and, and are you talking about mm -hmm. a lot of these questions you have with him or are you thinking that this is not gonna be good for him at all and where he's at well, yeah so it's it's been quite a journey and to mm. be to be honest it's been the hardest part of my deconstruction sure really by far um you know earlier on in my process like when i started questioning women and what the Bible says about women. We used to have like fights about that, you know, like, you know, I'd be like, well, what about, you know, Junia, like she was an apostle and he'd be like, well, what about what the 12 were all men? Like, doesn't that mean something? And like, we'd, ha we'd have these fights mm -hmm. about hermeneutics and, um, <laughs> and, and my husband has a very different upbringing than I do. He, you know, he was raised in, the conservative church his whole life sure um and then you know with seminary and devoted his life to ministry so we just you know super different life experiences leading up to the beginning of our life together mm. um so when i'm you know we, we would talk about homosexuality some um i remember when i like confessed that i no longer thought the bible was inerrant and i because i felt like i was lying to him and i had to like mm. get it off my chest and um he was he was really kind about it um i don't think he realized at the time that i was like kind of like as far down this deconstructing path as i was right. and as that became more apparent um we started to clash more and um i did try to just start hiding things you know like if i was listening to a deconstruction podcast uh like if i had been listening to your show and he walked in the room i would have paused it you know like not <laughs> yeah. telling him the books i was reading and um 
and that was really hard and I felt guilty and I also just felt like this is not going to go well like yeah I was scared of being rejected um and um so that was really really tough um and you can't you can't just like make someone think the same things that you think like it's such this is such a personal journey and it doesn't look the same for everyone and like 10 years ago Hallie would be horrified at who I am today yeah absolutely well it's the same as your mom when you came home from school going I became a did you know Jesus has saved us like your mom can't go all right let's sit down and let's crush this at the helm you know like she was never gonna (laughs) stop you believing in Jesus right you were in Um, yeah it's 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 something you can only get to a, a tipping point where maybe right. then if you're at that right moment, something can push you yes. over the edge. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, and you probably know him better than any person on the planet, right? You probably know more than anyone. This is not the moment, you know, he's not going to come in and see mm-hmm. me reading whatever. I don't know, a Brian McLaren book or, um, you know, whatever else, Sarah Bessie, you know, he's not uh-huh. going to look under my pillow and find Sarah Bessie and go, wow, I just read the blurb and I'm totally changed. Right. Probably not, you know, and, right. and that's a, right. that's a tough yeah. thing to live with. You know, we talked to lots right. of people there that was, are in that. You know, there was so much at stake for him. I mean, mm. for me too, but I mean, he was, is a pastor, you know, yeah. like. That's his training. That's his education. Deal. It's how he makes his living. Like, yeah. right. It's just, just his whole life. Um, so, so that was really tough. And then also like our, our experience at the Arizona church just became like more and more toxic. Um, and he worked there for a year and a half until eventually he was fired and the senior pastor, I'm sorry to say, um, is really an abusive narcissist. Mm. And we found out that the way that my husband was let go was very similar to what had happened to people before him. And we've also found out that it's happened to people since him. Um, and it was all like very deceitful. Like we were manipulated and told that, you know, if we went along with this, that they would take care of our family. And I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. Like this was our only source of income. And, um, you know, so so we did and we felt like we had no other options. And also just when it's happening to you in like real time, you're just like, is, like, what, is this a dream? Like what's going sure, on? Like, like you, you can't even shop. really like fully you know, you can't process it while you're experiencing it. Mm. And um, so they made up this huge lie about how we wanted to be full-time church planters, which wasn't true. We had, we had planted a church as part of his duties with this church, you know? Um, And that was, that was okay in theory. Um, He wasn't happy there either. My husband And he saw the church plant as, you know, a possible way out, you know, like he could plant this church and have it the way he wanted. And um, then, you know, he wouldn't have relocated our family for nothing. And like, we could still make this Arizona thing work. Um, 
but the church plant became really difficult. I just, I never wanted to plant a church, but I was expected to be part of it um, because that's, that's evangelical marriage. That's right. evangelical yeah. ministry, like free second worker. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, sort of in my, the, the soft evangelical background that we had, you know, there would be people were happy to say things like to sort of condemn that, like, you know, you're not expected to be a second worker and we know you're not on the payroll and stuff like that, but it wasn't enough mm. because which, um, became very clear to me through this church planning experience because I'm, I mean, I'm deconstructing and I'm getting further and further and further away from evangelicalism. Mm. So my husband's vision was, was not a vision that I shared. And that was like really painful. Um, and I didn't want to like come out and say that because it's, it's hurtful, you know? Um, but it was also the truth. And, um, you know, and he really wanted to get out of this toxic church that we were in and I did too, but this just wasn't the way to do it. Um, we had another baby while we were in Arizona. So we started this church plant when our youngest was a month old. It was just like a lot that was going on at the same time. And, um, so, so we had, we had started this church plant as a, you know, this is part of your job as the associate pastor. We want to plant a church and or um oh can you cut that? <laughs> that yeah, let me write down the time in. and I'll try and cut it down. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um what so the because I just like I, we never signed any kind of like non-disclosure statement. Um yeah, that's fine. That's fine. but I just don't want to like say specifics. That's fine. Um for my own so you planted this church. <laughs> planted this church in this nearby area. So that, so when they wanted to get rid of him, they just used that as a vehicle that they could mm, spin for yeah. their advantage Like we were already doing it. And then, so then the lie became, well, they wanted to, you know, they feel called by God to do this full time. Yeah. Um, the word calling has just become really like triggering for me because it's just been used against us. Yeah. So they tell the whole congregation this and we have to go along with it because of the hush money that we needed to survive. Um, and I never went back to the church after that. <laughs> My husband knows me well enough. He knows that I would just be like weeping or like just like <laughs> licking people off everywhere. Um, but he had to do like another five Sundays or something wow. before his last day. And, you know, and people, he had to deal with people saying things like, oh, won't you stay? We love you so much. Why won't you stay? And, you know, and, and because of the way that the, the presbytery works in this denomination, the, the session, the group of elders can't just come out and fire somebody. Yeah. The entire congregation has to dissolve the call. Okay. Wow. So, so it's got to be quite congregational, democratic voting kind of. Yes. Yes. Know. So the leadership manipulated the congregation, deceived them yeah. to make this happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't need to. Yeah. It's easier to vote so, on. Yes. We, we think if they're called to do that, we, we support it, you know, rather oh, than, course. oh, you're firing these people. <laughs> like, right. We like. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's mm -hmm. I've seen that you so many times, you know, I talked to hundreds of people um, 
and they'll share their stories and things like that. But the amount of people that have, um, in the process of leaving church, been, um, you know, given a, a goodbye time or, or just kind of never acknowledged and like they just leave and they're just like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll say they were called to this or that they, mm-hmm. this or whatever. But a lot of times even like they'll have a goodbye thing and they'll say, oh, we're, we're having a celebration. We're saying goodbye to this person. And the, and the person's like, I just like gave you a list of all these reasons I'm leaving the church. And it's because I've been hurt. I've been abused. I had this traumatic experience. I fundamentally mm-hmm. disagree with you. And mm-hmm. you're like kind of thrusting upon me, calling me up on the stage. I'm now in a state of like, Oh crap, what do I do? I don't want to be a bad guy, but I've no time to prepare for yeah. this at all. And so there's a smiling, the nodding, you get some flowers or like a little like, you know, gift or, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. And they're, Oh, we're mm-hmm. sending you off to, whatever you're doing next, you know? And, right. um, and it just feels like there's this, um, it's amazing to see when you look at the numbers, the numbers of people leaving the church, um, not happy with the church they're leaving or not content with the way that operates or seeing it yeah. very differently is huge. Right. But when right. you're in a church day in, day out, you, you can see those people leaving but there's never any of this kind of um, aftermath. There's never any of the, um, the, the blobs. You never hear about it. It's always mm-hmm. done so carefully, so tidily. Right. Um, and, it, and it does. It, it, I've, you're not the first person I've heard of. You know, people are probably mm-hmm. really shocked to be like, wait, what? They mm-hmm. offered you money to not say anything and like to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, people are shocked, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I, I yeah. think I'm disgusted yeah. by it and mm-hmm. I'm annoyed mm-hmm. by it. And, um, but I'm not shocked. I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yep. I've heard that story so many times. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just, yeah. it's astonishing to me, the, the dynamics yeah. in play here to mm-hmm. keep up an appearance that uh-huh. we are perfect. Everything is right. That everything out oh, there yeah. is somehow yeah. wrong. Um, well, no one wants crazy. to know. No one wants to know how the bacon is made. They want to mm-hmm. eat the bacon, but they don't want to see how you yeah. make it. And, and when you are involved with ministry, like you see that you see the good, the bad, and the really, really ugly, like, you know, this, this church spent half a million dollars on a new organ, the organ they had worked fine, but it wasn't the best. (laughs) My husband was the only dissenting vote on that. Um, And everyone else was like, yeah, this seems like a great thing to do with half a million dollars. And, um, you know, just, just stuff like that. Like they spent 20 grand on the church's um, 50th year anniversary party. It wasn't even a good party. Um, it's like, you, <laughs> you know, could have thrown a slightly better see... one for 20 grand. You reckon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. I'm like, do you see the homeless people on the streets of Phoenix? Unbelievable. Like, right. Like, yeah. what are, what are we doing? This is, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not, what how people should behave who claim to have been changed by the gospel like this is not right this is not okay Mm -hmm. um and then you know you add to it just the way that people are mistreated you know there's a lot of talk like in our kind of ex-evangelical space on instagram Mm -hmm. about the toxicity of pastors which is very true it needs to be talked about but you know another part of the conversation is that pastors eat their young um when you're a youth pastor or an associate pastor and you're not, you know, the big dog at the bowl, 
you are, it's a ripe situation for abuse. Yeah. And um, there's supposed to be a recourse for that. Like you're supposed to be able to report something to the presbytery and they in theory are like, can operate as essentially a court system. But um, almost always they back senior pastors. And if mm. you don't, if you're not the one who has the most power, like it's not going to go well for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wild. I, I remember um being a part of a movement where i mean the the senior pastors would would teach and, and there was it was a big movement so there was senior pastors right so i mean like multiple senior pastors um yeah. but uh you know there was still like the executive senior or whatever that works right but like um it was this culture of um we respect and we honor those that are leading us and 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 doing so much and you know what um, I think it's really easy to shit all over pastors. It really is because there's a mm. lot of pastors out there that are just the worst. <laughs> They're just the pits. Yes. But yes. Um, I was a, a pastor's kid and different in the UK. And I know lots of pastors. I talk to pastors every day on Instagram. You know, they're talking to me yeah. about their process of trying to be straight. And mm. a huge portion of pastors out there get paid nothing or scraping yep. by or spending yep. their days in hospitals, sitting by um mm. kids that have just had an abortion supporting them through that painful process you know they're, they're right. doing good work day in day out and not very yeah. thanked for it and they don't have right. the support and the whatever um so mm. I, I think you know there's there's two very different types of pastors and i don't want to conflate mm -hmm. them across the boards um but they they kind of like looked on that model of like look at all these pastors they don't get the respect they deserve they don't get like yeah. you know honor and they, they're, they're doing a hard work and they are doing a hard work for most of them um, I think that possibly changes when your support, you know, your pastoral team is, you know, 30 people or something. It's probably a bit different. Right. Um, uh, but in this environment, they were, they were doing things like, oh, well, to honor people, you should um, take Saturday off and you should go and do the senior leader's garden. And there'd be a team of like five or six volunteers that would go around and do his garden. First of all, mm -hmm. having the if five or six people need to do your garden once a week, all right. got a big enough garden that you can probably afford some help right? Yeah. You don't need to be, right? If you've got a garden that big, I, I'd wager you can afford some gardeners. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, there's just these, these dynamics of like, there was someone that would wash, and, and it was often, it was shown by like, um, it was the leaders in the church that would head up these teams, you know? Oh, yeah. And so there was a leader that would head up and they would go around and wash the senior leaders' cars once a week. Oh yeah. One of the yeah. leader paid staff, um, yeah. and yet in their spare time when they weren't getting paid, however you break that up and i know you've been involved in church that that's a misnomer anyway right mm -hmm. you're constantly mm -hmm. on um mm -hmm. but they're washing they're washing senior leaders cars and it's this yeah. weird privilege and title the the, the yeah. opportunity for abuse um you look at the data on uh narcissism uh as um as it's represented amongst uh, leaders within churches and religions yeah. compared to the general populace it's through the roof. I don't, I don't remember the numbers, the but it's massive. Yeah. It, it, it yes. attracts narcissists. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's a really dangerous thing. And the, and the thing is as well, it's not just, uh, sometimes I think it's dangerous to solely blame pastors because I think the structure makes those yes. pastors, you know, oh, we sure. make that pastor by expecting yes. them to be perfect, expecting them to, you know, be on this pedestal yeah. to do the whatever. And, yeah. um, it's it's a really really messy messy environment, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and yes, I don't I, mean, I feel for people stuck in it like you know that uh -huh. you're just stuck in this dynamic big time. Oh yeah. yeah, um, 
And I do think senior pastors are, I mean, lauded just beyond belief and distinctly more so than like associates, assistants, mm. and youth pastors. I mean, the senior pastor at this Arizona church, I mean, he made almost, I, I don't know exactly what his salary was, but it, I believe it was like 80 grand more a year than my husband was mm. like a lot, lot more. Yeah. Um, and, and he could really do no wrong. And, you know, which, so of course narcissists are going to be attracted to being pastors because you can have total control. You can, you know, you can just have your narcissism on steroids right? and no one's going to question you because you're the pastor mm -hmm. and it just creates too much cognitive dissonance for people. They don't want to go there. Um, and when we were, when my husband was fired, we found out sometime later that the leadership of that church told the congregation that we didn't want to be contacted, um, which is not true. It's really common. So then everyone, you know, just never reached out to us because they were told that we didn't want them to. So, um, so. Yeah. So, you know, just silencing people, excommunicating them. Mm -hmm separating them from their But you community. have to do that on some level because mm -hmm. you can't risk your side of the story infiltrating the perfectly kept, you know, environment. Oh, well, right. It right. would ruin everything if, if people found out, oh, wait, you didn't particularly want to leave? Um, right. Well, maybe it was a silver lining situation anyway, but uh, you, know, <laughs> you, you didn't want to leave. You didn't choose to this. You're not excited about right. going off and planting a church. Oh, right. whoa, that's yeah. different. What's going on here? Right. You can't, yes. you can't create oh, yeah. that environment. Right. The institution yeah. must be protected above all. Yeah. So now yeah. you you guys make that transition. Um, mm. and it's only then that you said that you started to feel a bit more free about, you know, speaking about stuff, being more public about yeah. that. Is that right? So so we continued or it's hard to know if I should say we or he, my husband, continued with the church plant for a few months after we were no longer part of the big church. Um, it was, it led to a really, really dicey season in our relationship um, because I was super traumatized by what happened at this, the church he had been employed by and he was too, but you know, pastoring was so deeply tied to his identity. Yeah. And, um, you know, he wanted to be able to make this church plant work. And I was like, the church plant is so tied for me to the, the mother church and I can't separate them. And also I just didn't want to plant a church. Like, you know, like they talk about it even within evangelicalism as like, you know, a call or like something that you have to really want to do because it's a yeah. hard thing to do. It's hard. And I just didn't want to, um, and I wanted to want to for his sake, but I, but I just didn't. Um, and that never happened. You know, I never, mm. that never changed for me. Um, so it was just, it was real messy. Like I was trying to tell him, I don't want to do this. And he was trying to, you know, mold the church plant in such a way that I would like it more and that it would be more aligned with my desires. But we were just in like such different places. Mm. Um, 
At one point he asked me if I was a universalist and I said yes, because that's the truth. And that was like really, really upsetting mm. for him, really terrifying for him. Um, and eventually, so he, he got fired in May and we stopped the church plant in October okay. when I was just finally like, I've been trying to tell you, I don't want to do this. And like, that's just the truth. I, I don't want to do this. Um, and not beat around the bush about it. Um, it was just a really, really hard thing to be honest about. Yeah. Um, and also just a really hard thing for him to hear, even when I was more direct. So it was a, it was a struggle. Um, but eventually, you know, the church plant ended because of that. Um, and I was trying to advocate to him, like, I don't want to plant a church, but you do. So just go plant one. Like, why do I have to be a part of it? Um, and that was, that was really painful for him. Mm. Um, and I, I knew he wanted my support and he wanted me to be part of it, but I was frustrated by this idea that I, I mean, it's the pastor's wife thing that I have to be like absorbed into his identity just yeah. by default, you know, even if I don't align with the vision or if I have a different passion or if I want to do something else with my time, like evangelicalism doesn't accept that. Yeah. Um, so, so we just went through a really, really rough patch where he was very upset with me and I was like, Hey, I'm the, I'm the one defending you. Like the church was so horrible to you. And like, you should be mad at them, not mad at me. Um, and we just were like super not on the same page and just really missing each other. Um, and you know, thanks to therapy, it got better. Um, yeah, and we're in a much better place now. So that was, that was 2018. Um, okay. uh, so now he's working in a different field and, um, he's, m um, more curious about my, he's more spiritually curious about mm. my journey. Um, and I, I think, I think his own, I, um, we're reading a Brad Jersak book together. Like okay. he's reading yeah. it right now and then I'm going to read it and we're going to talk about it. Um, and that seems to be like a place that we can meet like maybe like a little more pro progressive than he would prefer and a little more conservative than I am. Um, sure. And it, so but it feels like we're a conversation for you and yeah, like we're kind of like knitting something back together. Um, so we moved, but we stayed in Arizona for about a year after the whole thing fell apart. Um, and then we moved back to St. Louis, which is where we're both from. And we've been here since last summer. Um, and um, we haven't been going to church. Um, it's really important to my husband that we do go to church. And I, um, I have that desire too. Um, but it's <laughs> for, you know, the last couple of years, it's just become more and more obvious, like, how could we possibly find a church that we both like? Mm. Um, but I think we both feel committed to that, even though we're kind of like, this is going to look a lot different than we thought it was going to. Sure. 
So what kind of churches are you exploring and, and, and looking at in that process? Like, are you, because I imagine something that's kind of like very like progressive, like, uh, I don't know, you know, whatever like the progressive church yeah. kind of banner would look like would be way off the deep end and too scary for where he's at. And yet right. you veer too close to evangelical kind of uh, territory. Right. You probably feel a bit more comfortable and you would yeah. be like, you know, like get back. Right. Safe. Well, exactly that's been the Mm. that's been the struggle you know and and he has you know considered going to church by himself um but he doesn't really want to and i realized like i don't really want him to either like i don't have any problem with that um with that concept you know because i've been you know advocating for the idea that like spouses are different people and they might want different things yeah um, but the truth is that like a spiritual connection is some with my spouse is something that I want. And like, I like it when we talk about yeah theology and faith. I mean, I like it when we talk and it doesn't turn into a big fight, <laughs> <laughs> which, um, which is, is what we're able to do now. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I just, just want us to be able to engage faith together. Um, but it's way, way, way different than it was, you know, when we got married and we were on the same page about everything, right. yeah. you know, which is what we were taught as evangelicals you have to do, you know, yeah. like gotta be equally yoked. You know, That's and- just unspoken, right? You have oh. to believe the same thing. You have to you be have equally to. yoked. Um, mm-hmm. When you get married, like there's no, a uh, possibility that this other person would ever not love Jesus at some point in their life or not love Jesus mm-hmm. the way I do or not right. church the way I do or right? like that's just it's just not even part of the the thought right. process right yeah. um you know we say vows about like you know being faithful to one another before we even think about going well and I promise to always believe in God or you know that's just not even on the page like of course not even not. on the page um, yeah and and it is so interwoven it's even things like going to church and things like like it feels like um, in a lot of Christianity, um, one spiritual path is very intermingled with one's family. Like there, there isn't much room for a family to be in a different place. There isn't much, you know, right. if, if, if you see it all the time, because there's that gender gap where more women are in the church than men, mm-hmm. women go to the church and everyone is, where's your husband? Is he Okay. Is he not believe? You know, it, oh yeah, it's all about mm-hmm. where's your husband? What's he doing? Where's his faith? Why? You know, it, yes. it it's all centered around these co- concepts of right. like a unified, mm-hmm. healthy family as we see it. As we uh, see it, right? You know, even if the oh yeah, there's a ton a of church, shame. It would be an issue. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I look back on our past churches and I think about the people who were married but their spouse didn't come to church. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of shame surrounding that. Yeah. You know, like you didn't like come out and say anything, but it was kind of like, what's happening there? You know, like, yeah, that's so weird. Um, so yeah, it's just unspoken models. It's the same, you know, we do it with, um, you know, people that are coming to church on their own without their family. We go, oh, you know, oh, it's, we're not gonna say anything, but also, well, she's obviously not invited to the, you know, this group which is full of couples or you know whatever right what right. about the the couple that don't have kids whether they can or they don't want to 
that's right. the problem, right? When, what are we mm-hmm. always asking them? So when are you going to have kids, right? You know, and, right. or what about the couple that are engaged or, you know, not yeah. engaged? Or when are you getting engaged? When are you going to get married? When are, it's, it's just right. like we have these ideals of what a healthy life looks like. And so much of it is conflated around these kind of family ideals. And um, oh, yeah. And, and yeah. it seems to drive our, our questioning, our desires for other people's lives, right? I mean, this isn't got anything to do with me right this is like julie that comes to church and i see her once a week i don't really Uh have any it doesn't impact me whatsoever whether she brings whatsoever or whether she gets Mm -hmm. married or whether she has kids or none of that's actually particularly relevant to my day in day out Uh, right so i somehow care because she's a christian yeah could be this and right well the nuclear family is really worshipped inside you know evangelical church culture um you know which plays into patriarchy and homophobia and these other toxic systems that are mm-hmm. alive and well. Um, but yeah, the idea that someone could, could, can even deconstruct or deconvert or even just change in any significant way, what they believe like is just not on the table. No. I mean, it, it never entered my consciousness why, you know, when I was a younger Christian, um, and it's it's wild. I mean, I still I still identify as a Christian. I mean, I also identify as an agnostic and maybe something of a mystic, but um I still identify as a Christian. Like the story of Jesus is still really important to me, but I get DMs from people about how I have to get saved and how I'm so lost and how I don't know Jesus and I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like and um And I think that's a misconception that the church has about people who deconstruct, you know, that, that it's a process of losing faith and, and it is. And for some people, it, you know, they lose their faith completely and they don't want to have a faith anymore and that's fine. Mm. Um, But I think it's also a process of faith becoming truer and deeper and more meaningful um, yeah. but there is just no tolerance for that narrative. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for a lot of people, it's the process of trying to grow in their mm-hmm. faith, whatever that looks oh, like yeah. in their paradigm of what it looks like to be connected to God, to know God, right. to know yeah. or to be spiritual and to be a better person. Like they're pursuing right. these journeys of, I want to be a more whole person. I want to be more connected to God. I right. want to have a better relationship with God. That was generally speaking, mm-hmm. the, the starting point for deconstruction is, is well, I want to know like, what can this look like? That doesn't oh, look like a healthy absolutely. thing. And I want to be more healthy. I want to be more Christ-like or yes. whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's such a, and of course it's, it's got to be this because otherwise people have huge existential crises and they, you know, whole world collapses, but right. it is such a bizarre thing at the same time that people go, there's this needs to either um, label what you're going through as something it's not um, that makes me feel more comfortable or dismiss what you had initially. So it's yeah. like, Oh, you were never really saved. Let me save you. Right. Let me show you, were you never what actually a Christian. Was. Clearly. No. Yeah. It's like, are you right. kidding? I was the pastor's wife. I knew. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I got saved. I got saved as a teenager. Do you want to see my Bible? Like, it's know, marked up like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. So uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, because um uh, when I, f- I first started following you, when I posted some uh initial outcomes of some of our research that we've been doing about mm-hmm. um 
one of the findings that we found was that plenty of people at Deconstruct still attend church. Now, I don't know what that looks like yet, whether it's they move and find something like you and your husband are trying to do, find something that's a bit more suitable for them, or whether yeah. they are stuck in a church, like maybe you were with your husband uh -huh. at one point. Right. Um, you know, yeah. so there's different arguments for why that might be, or maybe they just go, eh, I'm, I'm cool with this, whatever. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that was like a subcategory within that was that it, it was found that women were twice as likely to not stay in the church. Double negative. Mm. No, uh, uh, oh, no, it wasn't double negative. <laughs> uh, but men would, would generally speaking, hang around the church more while they were deconstructing the woman. And yeah. you shared some interesting thoughts on that, and and you you highlighted a kind of series that you had. And I was wondering uh -huh. if you wanted to share a little bit about what you think about that, because I, I have hypotheses for days on that, and I don't have the data. Yeah. No one no one's done a study on that yet, unfortunately. Yeah. But I thought some of your thoughts on that were really interesting, and and as a, a a woman you know i've, I've not deconstructed mm -hmm. as a woman um uh, in right. the church and so i am intrigued to um maybe flesh out some of those ideas with you because i think it'll be really interesting to talk about uh, yeah well um i think there's probably multiple reasons but the first thing that comes to mind for me is that male privilege is a very big thing in mm. church um and you know in every other category other than being a woman, I'm privileged. I'm white, I'm straight, cisgender, American. Um, so, so having a uterus is my only, um, you know, oppressed identity. Um, but in the evangelical church, that oppression is real. It's a pretty big one, that one. <laughs> it's, it's big, it's huge. Um, so, I mean, women just experience things in the conservative church that men don't. Mm. Um, and, you know, as much as I <laughs> disagree with Christian fundamentalism, I have like a weird kernel of respect, at least for the churches who just come out and say what they believe. Like, yep, yep. we think that women are, should be subordinate to men and they're not as close to God and they were deceived first and can't be pastors and you know they're under the umbrella and the the whole god husband wife thing you've ever seen the the umbrella yeah oh yeah oh um like they just come out and say it um and that was never my experience and i think a lot of women experience gaslighting in the church um and i think this is honestly often unintentional but it doesn't mean that it's not impactful right sure. Um, you know, I don't think that most male pastors are evil. I think that they um, are a product of the system, kind of how we mentioned before, yeah. and they only know what they know. And one of the things that they don't know is what it's like to be in a female body and have an authority figure tell you that you're supposed to be quiet, you're not allowed to teach men, um, and that God says so. Mm. And I think that, you know, another stat about women that you mentioned earlier was that women attend church more than men. Yeah. So yeah. deconstructed women are leaving twice as much as men, but inside the church, there are more women who go to church yeah. than men. Um, and I think women, Christian women are just really faithful, like, and not that Christian men aren't, but I don't know. I mean, Christian women 
show up and take care of the babies and make the food and, you know, our deacons, if they're allowed, um, they do a lot of labor for the church, Mm. I think out of their genuine love for Jesus. And I think the church exploits that. Mm. Um, Again, probably unintentionally, but when that happens to you over and over and over again, and you, you serve and you serve and you serve, but you're never going to be an elder. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're never, you're never going to be nominated for an elder. You're not even going to think about like going to seminary. Um, even if you really feel a call to ministry or a, a desire for that, um, because you can't, I mean, you could technically, but you're not going to be able to get ordained. You're not going to be able to preach mm. because I mean, <laughs> like I, re- I remember um, hearing about a woman pastor when I was still very evangelical and like the immediate first thought is like, Oh, that's, that's sinful, you know? Yeah. And like dismissing her as, you know, not a real Christian or not faithful to scripture. She doesn't have a high view of the Bible, et cetera. What kind of terrible um, church would let that happen? You know, like right, couldn't they, they couldn't right. find one man that was available, you know? <laughs> right. So, so when you're an evangelical woman who loves Jesus mm. and believes the Bible is inerrant, you give up so much. You give up part of yourself. You give up autonomy. You give up having a voice. Mm. Um, and you do all of this willingly because you have been told that it's the price of following Jesus and you will do anything to follow Jesus because it matters to you that much. Yeah. Um, and that just takes a toll on you. Yeah. It really takes a toll. So, you know, pastors and elders, all men, of course, might affirm these things in you as a woman, but they're never gonna, they're never gonna give you a platform. They're never going to um, consider that you like deserve a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, and I have, a, I have a local group of um, deconstructed folks that I get together with here in St. Louis. Awesome. And um, it's, it's exclusively women, and that wasn't by design, and men are welcome to attend. But, um, I mean, to your point, I just keep finding women. And most of our stories start with our own hurt as women in the church. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a couple of our uh, Instagram friends the other day, about how when you deconstruct first you see the hurt that was done to you and then you see how you've hurt other people yeah um and that was very true for me you know kind of this like feminist awakening in me and being like wait a second this isn't okay and i have a daughter now and no way in hell are you going to tell her that she can't be a pastor if she wants to um and then you know when i when i let myself feel the hurt connected to that then I was able to start unpacking like my racism and mm. my homophobia and my, you know, all the privilege that I have in these other areas and ways that I had um, unconsciously, you know, done harm to other people by being in this system. So, yeah, I think women have a unique or just a different 
hurt yeah. than men do. And, and at least in, in my context, it's, it's unacknowledged. Mm. So like, I remember being at church once a couple years ago and, and, um, we were in Arizona, but we were visiting St. Louis. And I, so I attended the church that we had been part of, you know, years back where my husband was the youth pastor and they were ordaining new elders that day. And of course they were men and all the other elders were up on stage. Also all men and the pastor, who's also a man. And no one says anything about that ever. And, um, <laughs> And, you know, I'm just sitting there along with half the church who are also women and who knows how it's hitting other women. But the way it hit me was, you know, I am a second class citizen here. Yeah. Um, and I am so angry about that. But if I, I knew that if I was to like say something to the pastor, my former pastor, um, and if, if any, I think every evangelical woman knows this or ex-evangelical woman, like, especially if it's in a context like mine, where everything is said very, very nicely, but the things that are being said are not nice in and of themselves. Yeah. So, you know, if you go up to the pastor and you like express probably with emotion because it's hurtful that this is not okay. And like, how dare you? And you're going to be met with, oh my gosh, what's wrong? What are you talking about? We love women here. Like, and I know for me for years, I never, <laughs> I never actually like went up to my pastor and yelled at him about how wrong I thought his theology was. Um, except for my husband. He's the only pastor. I've ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but so I, I never actually did that, but I still like would hear those comments. Mm -hmm you know, they're inserted in different ways in sermons or in church emails or just, you just pick it up, yeah. you know, like, and, and so, and you start to feel crazy. And this is the gaslighting I'm talking about. Like, yeah. oh gosh, yeah. Like, wow, you're being really nice. And I, I guess my, my bad, you know, like, and you kind of walk away, like what just happened? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's kind of hard to see until you see it. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, you can't, you can't unsee it. Yeah. I, I often wonder, so again, not a woman. So my whole perspective is so warped, but I guess I see it from the other perspective where I get, I get one extra privilege, right? I have a whole bunch yeah. of privileges and I get one more. Um, yeah. And, and so I see it from that side, but I, you know, in the churches I've been a part of as I've deconstructed, I have always been entertained in that process. Yeah. And in my experience, when other um, very close friends that are female, um, I have probably more female friends than male friends. So I, 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 I've been exposed to a lot of what their deconstruction looks like. Sure. Um, and of course, I talk to men and women all day about this. So uh, yeah. I kind of got a bit of a picture over all of that. But generally speaking, women aren't entertained. So a woman comes to a pastor and goes, look, I'm questioning this. I'm asking this. I'm wondering this. And it will, it seems, again, very anecdotal. Uh, I, I've mm -hmm. not sat down with loads of data here. I don't know if anyone's able to collect the data on that one. Um, 
but it seems that it's um, dismissed. It's maybe like, oh, you know, are you, oh, you're, you're just being emotional about it. You'll, you'll settle down and it'll make sense. Or, oh, well, yeah. well, women aren't supposed to be thinking about it. You can go ask your husband or, you know, any oh, number yeah. of like, you know, a variety of different answers. Uh-huh. But when I go to the pastor and go, hey, I'm thinking about this. I'm not sure. And they're like, well, let's get coffee and we could sit down with the Bible and we can discuss it. And maybe we could read a book each about it. We could recommend a book to each other about our perspective and we could talk, you know, and yes. not every pastor is willing to do that either. But you know, sure. but there's, there's this totally different. Um, there's there's just a different personality afforded to a man versus a woman. A man is allowed to ask questions. A man is allowed to, you know, forge his own path and to mm-hmm. be his own self and asking questions is a good thing for a man. You know, he should be mm-hmm. you know, out there mm-hmm. doing the thinking and the hard work. You're curious and, about the Bible, yeah. That's good wonderful. You. you know, you're reading the Bible right. to question and to explore and to you know grow. Yeah. Um, but it's almost the, the the woman should be reading the Bible to be the dutiful um, servant that's praying mm-hmm. and fasting mm-hmm. at home, that's mm-hmm. looking, that's maybe mm-hmm. teaching the kids or something, but you're reading the Bible so you can be a better wife, so you can be a better mom, you know? but not <laughs> right. so I actually, you know, figure out some of what the hell I've, or this spiritual world is. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. It, it just feels like there's a, a very different opportunity for men mm-hmm. who are deconstructing in the church than there is for women who are deconstructing. You know, oh, I would yeah. feel much safer saying, I've been questioning stuff some re- recently, but I know a lot of my female friends have gone, I can't say that. Like, that's not going to yeah. be well for me. Uh, well, no. And like you mentioned that the pastor might say, hey, let's go have coffee. And that's, I mean, that's male privilege right there. Mm. No male pastor, at least in evangelicalism, is going to offer that to a woman. Right. It's, you know, that's, it's the Billy Graham rule. You can't do that. Well, you might like, wow him with your wily ways. Right. Gosh. You can't have coffee with a temptress, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so that is not even like women don't get that access mm. to their pastor. So you only get, you know, church on Sunday morning and like public events. Like you don't get to like pick your pastor's brain over coffee. Sure. You just, don't get to it's not an option if you're a woman um and i think i mean no woman who's deconstructing doesn't know that um so that's that's part of the problem um and you you mentioned showing emotion and i think that absolutely um is a big part of it and um you know it's we think that women are more emotional than men, which I don't think is true. No male pastor has ever shown emotion when, you know, someone's brought (laughs) up or anything, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. But we, um, we associate emotion with femininity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if you cry as a woman, because you are so, disappointed or enraged or in grief or confused or all of it, like you are so easily dismissed because, mm. well, cause evangelicalism is all about, um, you know, it's a product of the enlightenment, you know, it's, you have to have a reason for what you believe and everything is supposed to be rational. And uh, it's odd know, as well because emotions themselves are rational are logical. Most of the time when someone shows rash, like uh, an emotion, if they're crying, if they're angry, if they're happy, you could sit down and go, why are they feeling that? Let's look at what's happened in their day or what conversation. Oh, that's a rational thing based on this rational. Th- like, it, it's weird to me that it's, um, 
it's an it's a reason to even dismiss something mm-hmm. um it's, it's a very um it's a very surprising thing that we say that we get away with that like no one goes why, why does someone have an emotions mean that their point is invalid like that uh, that doesn't yeah. seem to make yeah. any sense right but but it's baked into you know the theology yeah. you know your heart is deceitful uh lean not on your own understanding um I mean, it's, it was subtle, at least in my context, but you definitely get the message that like, you're not supposed to trust your emotions. Yeah. So then when you express any, it's like, well, you're breaking the rules Mm. and you're clearly not being rational because you can't be emotional and rational at the same time, Yeah. which, you know, which is a crock of shit, but that's what they, that's the message. Um, and (laughs) I think toxic masculinity is really strongly um, aligned with toxic religion. Mm. Uh, They're both about being right and being powerful. So like to express, so that that series that I did that you mentioned, Mm. you know, I had this idea that um, I'm going to have to, move where I'm sitting so plug in this computer oh you're fine Um, (laughs) I had this thought that we have to um somewhat deconstruct masculine or uh, toxic masculinity in order to start deconstructing evangelicalism Mm. and what I meant by that was that um to start deconstructing you have to let in things like empathy, uncertainty, curiosity, vulnerability. These are all traits that are associated more with being feminine than being sure. masculine. And um, they are, they're a threat to, to evangelical theology and church hierarchy. So, um, you know, I think that everyone has what society calls masculine and feminine traits about them sure um but you know because of the culture that we're raised in you know at least in the west like women tend to have those things in greater abundance sure. um or men are taught to suppress them or hide they're them taught to or, suppress right, them yeah right right so women are taught to have those things but we're also taught that we're going to be thought lesser because of them at the same mm. time. Um, you know, like if you, if you go up to your pastor and you start crying, like, you know, like we were just saying, like, it's not going to go well for you. You have to kind of play it quote, like a man to be taken seriously at all. Sure. So, you know, I don't think like the quote um, war on women is really about women as much as it's about femininity. Um, and we have to crush femininity wherever it exists, um, whether it's in women or um, in, in gay men that the church deems as feminine or, um, you know, trans women, like mm-hmm. you were a man, but then you, you chose to become a woman. Um, you know, that whole wrong idea, um, the idea of being anything 
associated with feminine or female yeah. is, you know, just thought of as lesser and weak. Um, Glennon Doyle said in her new book, Untamed, that um, in talking about the fall, like the message of that story, the way she put it is that the whole world fell apart because a woman wanted more. Like, how dare she? Wow. And because of that, all of humanity is doomed. Um, and that just like really resonated with me because that absolutely is the message that we get. Yeah. So, so if you love Jesus and you know, you want to serve his kingdom and bring him glory and all the things, and you're a woman, like you have to like really like do violence to yourself mm. and let the church do violence to you in order to love Jesus according to that paradigm, which for most evangelical women is the only one they know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so tough. I remember um, when I released my series on homosexuality, I was doing loads and loads of study on, on the topic, trying to understand historically, you know, the yeah. different biases and views of it. And I remember reading again and again and again in different cultures um, that in people that had a homosexual relationship uh, or, or, or I should say a homoerotic relationship, you know, they, they physically yeah. would have sex with someone of the same sex. And we're talking uh -huh. about men here because no one really cared about women having sex with women forever. Nope. Like for like yeah. all of history, you can go back and it's basically everyone's kind of like, Oh yeah, whatever. Um, right. <laughs> with men. And, and what's interesting is again and again and again, in all these different cultures that you go into the Mesopotamian culture, the Jewish culture, the Greek culture, the um, Roman culture, it was the one who was penetrated was wrong, was bad, was evil, was whatever. And the one who penetrated, well, that, that's nothing happened. It was fine. It's nothing was wrong. Right, um, right. And it, and it was because to penetrate is masculine and to yep. receive penetration is, is feminine. And so it was, it was much less about this sexual act between two men or two men having sex. That, that wasn't what was an offense to society. What was an right. offense to society was a man acting as a woman as it was seen right to receive right. a penis. Um, yes, and, and that was the big affront it was the terrifying i remember reading one account um of, uh, i think it was the romans and they had gone into this city and they were literally massacring they were killing they were they were killing men women and children um mm -hmm. you know um, cutting them to bits you know mutilating them horrific stuff and they went through this entire village and just yeah. absolutely destroyed it and the author is appalled by not that but the fact they were wearing dress well they were they were dressed as women it says and they wore makeup and he was like the fact that there was men pretending to be women who were then mm -hmm. doing these manly things they just were so upset by this this crossing mm -hmm. over the divide of what we have drawn mm -hmm. a line in the sand and said no men are over here women over here know your place don't yeah. mess with the line don't cross that line. right oh yeah um and it was just a whole world i'd never really thought about or explored and i think that i think this is a big thing that, that um that is highlighted to me when looking at these things your seven um kind mm -hmm. of you know uncertainty vulnerability all these things and yeah. one of the things that is highlighted to me is that men don't tend to be immediately faced with as many problems when they deconstruct um, because to a man who deconstructs, um, the issues of inequality 
are quote unquote a problem, but they're an intellectual problem. Mm-hmm. My personal experience problem. If I go on believing this for another 10 years, I'm not going to suffer much. Now you could argue, uh-huh. well, actually really, if people that you love are suffering, you're going to suffer. And, uh, you know, if society suffers, we all suffer, you know, like, we could go into that, but on sure. the whole, a man going to church who uh, is told every week that women can't teach, it doesn't massively affect his opportunities in that no. church. It doesn't massively right. affect, you know, how he gets on. Um, right. Whereas a woman starting to question these, it feels like there's a lot more categories Um it's, it's why I'd be intrigued. I'm, I'm hoping to look mm-hmm. into race dynamics as well. You know, mm-hmm. more likely that um, someone who's black or, you know, Latinx or, or you know, mm-hmm. something that is other than white in a white evangelical church, are, are they more likely to leave church as they deconstruct than mm-hmm. a white person? Um, mm-hmm. Because again, I think you're not suddenly just deconstructing, you're just deconstructing this whole component of colonization in church. Yes, right. You're deconstructing, right. yeah. you know, there's, there's extra tiers. And uh-huh. one thing, I, I know we're kind of slowly um, coming to the end of our time, but something I'm really intrigued by, and I, I'd be intrigued by what you think of this, because um, this is, this is to me, some of the, the darkest um the, the darkest side of this I've ever kind of come across is I used to, when I was much more in that world, in the evangelical world, and I was traveling and I was personally not there anymore, but I was trying uh-huh. to be there for the people and just help move them out. And so I'd, I'd go in and I'd teach certain things that were moving them in the right direction as I saw it, whether that's helpful or not, who knows. Sure. And one of the things I did was I did a series where I toured and spoke in, you know, 50, 60 churches on um, women in leadership, women in the church, um, you know, um, giving women more freedom and, and more liberty, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that hit me again and again and again and again in every church was I would have this huge line of women waiting to speak to me at the end. Yeah. And a tiny fraction of them were there to say thank you. Most of them were there to attack me and say, don't you dare, you know, like, how dare you say that women are free? How dare you? And, and the men were largely silent on the whole. I, I had some lunches with pastors afterwards that were not pleased or pleased or, you know, different responses. Sure. And I, it's not that women, men didn't say anything, but I had this overwhelming response from women, but actually the overwhelming response was quite negative to that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of the dynamics there that are going on and how do we overcome those dynamics where yeah. to me, it almost feels like they've, uh, you know, the system has brainwashed its occupants, you know, that gaslighting mm-hmm. and all that stuff mm-hmm. to the degree mm-hmm. that women themselves are some of the most arduous supporters of their oppression, yeah. uh, which, which yeah. is a, a heartbreaking um, thing. Mm-hmm. And I may, maybe my anecdotal experience is very um, limited to the bubbles I, I spoke in. I, I don't know, but it, it was my experience. And I was off. I often think about that. Yeah. Well, I think that women, especially evangelical women have a lot of internalized misogyny. Mm. Um, I think it, it helps us cope when we're in that environment. You know, if we tell ourselves that this is the right way because it's what God wants, it's what God says, and we want to be faithful to God, you know, you just, you, you go along with that so that you don't have to entertain the fact that you're being oppressed, the fact that you're being hurt. Um, I mean, I had years of church attendance and um, not just attendance, but like 
I mean, I was a pastor's wife. I was on the worship team. I, you know, did my time in like children's ministry and, um, you know, on the rotation and everything. What? My time in the children's ministry. Right. (laughs) Well, let me just say doing crafts with four-year-olds is like the worst. (laughs) Yeah. And yet still more enjoyable than most sermons I've been in. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Well, I've heard some great sermons, but I've heard some terrible ones too. Um, So when you're, when you're really involved and you haven't entertained any of these questions, Mm -hmm. when someone brings them to your attention, like you're doing at these, you know, when you tour these churches, I think the immediate internal response is to resist that because mm-hmm. it's a threat to life as she knows it, you know, she being the evangelical woman hearing this. I mean, that was really my response to Sarah Bessie's book when I first read it. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, you know, sort of the like, okay, yeah, this sounds great, but the Bible doesn't support this. And I was very, very faithful to my understanding of scripture and i think women are in general um i mean evangelicals are in general um and you you i mean you go along to get along um it's what you know it's it's indoctrination um and i think you know the ego does weird things Um, And I think one of the ego's first moves in that kind of situation is to reject because something that's new is just immediately taken as a threat. Um, Because, you know, what you're saying, the message of egalitarianism, well, that doesn't line up with what my pastor says and my pastor couldn't be wrong. And that doesn't line up with, how I read the Bible and you know, it's the Bible. All you have to do is read it. (laughs) Mm. Like it's just, um, I think, yeah, I think it's initially experienced as a threat, even though it's a message of liberation. If you don't know that you're in need of liberation, you're, you're gonna just dismiss it. Um, it makes me think of a, a Richard Rohr quote that I like a lot. He says mm. something like, um, there's the, the path of liberating the enslaved, and that's the difficult path of Moses. And then there's the path of liberating the people who think they're free, but are actually enslaved, which is the more difficult path of Jesus. Mm. And I think that's that's women in the evangelical church. That's um, maybe some people of color in the evangelical church, um, queer people in the evangelical church who have only heard their whole life that they're an abomination and, you know, they can never get married. Um, Yeah. You don't, you don't don't know. You just don't know until you know, you know, until you, and so even a message of liberation when it's so different than what everyone you've always trusted has told you, I think the immediate human reaction is going to be to resist that. Yeah. Because the implications are devastating and that's a lot to face. It takes a lot of courage to face the reality that you have been oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, it is, it is oppression. It is, um, 
being a victim to a system that that Mm -hmm. whether it was built from the ground up intentionally to oppress or whether it evolved from a time that was just a different time and it just is refusing to move back forward and right. wants to move back yeah. or all these different we could pick apart that for months probably um mm-hmm. i'm sure plenty, plenty of people do but um at the end of the day it looks like really for people to be set free on a on a on a on a large scale you know we could sit down with a friend mm-hmm. and talk with them for a few months years and at some point that tipping point is hit and they they realize wow i'm yeah I'm a victim to this system and it's holding me back yeah. and I can find freedom. But right. it seems that ultimately the system needs to change. Do, do you have hope for the system or do you think the system needs to die? Do, do you see yeah. change or do you see death? <laughs> you know, um, I have a lot of internal conflict about that question. I um, Rachel Held Evans was really impactful to me. I read all of her books. Um, I got to hear her speak. She was just like, she made me feel like someone understood before I could talk to like real life people about it. Mm. And um, I was listening to an interview with her later, her husband and her sister. And, you know, I'm just like weeping because, you know, it's just so sad that she, you know, she died so young yeah. and tragically. Um, and her sister said something about how Rachel never gave up on the church like she was very critical of it, but she never gave up on it. And that just brought on all the tears and like that, that really resonates with me. Mm. Um, I definitely have days where I'm just like, burn it all down. Like this is all toxic. This is all bad. I hate it. But then I have like that stirring that I mentioned to you where like, I, I want to go to church with my husband and I want us to have a life of faith that we you know, enjoy together. Mm. Um, and so I, I do feel a desire for like reform, even, even if that reform comes in the form of destroying what exists and yeah. then building something completely new. Um, and sometimes I, I, I feel kind of silly, like, Oh, Hallie, like just, you know, you're not, you can't sit at the, the deconstruction cool kids table if you don't want to just like, screw church. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, like Anne Lamott said when she became a Christian, she talks in her book about, or one of her books, she likens Jesus to like this stray cat that just like wouldn't leave her alone. And, um, at the end she's like, you know, Oh, F it, you can come in. And that's how she describes her conversion. (laughs) And, um, and for me, like deconstruction has been like that. Like I can't get Jesus out. Yeah. Um, and of course, Jesus and church are two totally different things. Um, but I, I mean, to say another Richard Rohr quote, we criticize the things that we love. Like if I just, if I could care less about the church, I don't think I would be writing about it. No. I don't think that I would be this upset about the trauma that people experience. Mm. Um you know, I would just be like, well, that was, you know, that was a load of BS and let's move on. Yeah. Um, so it's complicated. I am very critical of the evangelical church, um, but I still have some hope for some kind of church. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I love it. I love it. I, I'm, I'm probably with you as well. And, and I hear you. It, it feels like uh, at least in certain parts of deconstructing Christianity, the, the, the path is, you know, anarchy or nothing or, right. um, but 
you know, and, I, and I'm an anarchist by default anyway, so it's hard <laughs> not to like gravitate. Um, uh-huh. But uh, but I, I see people that love this person of Jesus and want to form a, forge a path of l- making the world look more like what Jesus expressed as an ideology. And, and then I think, right. uh, I think there's a beautiful opportunity for that group of people uh, uh an ideology uh whatever that is an expression to to, to exist yeah. to be an amazing thing um i just yeah. don't think that it's the common expression of it right now we, we, we probably no, if it's out all. there it's a smaller minority um, right and i i definitely understand you know my friends who just don't want anything to do with the church or with the label of christian like mm-hmm. i am not a christian anymore just the idea of like i want to distance myself from that yeah um for me, that was experienced more as, no, I, this belongs to me. Like, this is part of my identity. And like, you can't take this from me. You can't yeah. take Jesus from me. You can't take my identity from me. And yes, I have remade it. And y'all think I'm like this horrible heretic now, <laughs> but this still belongs to me. And yeah. I'm not going to just hand it over. That's awesome. Well, Hallie, thank you so much for spending so much time chatting with me and, and just sharing you. your journey, your story, your thoughts, letting me constantly interrupt you and ask questions. <laughs> You're um, great. But uh, how can people track with you and follow you? I, I follow you on Instagram and I love the stuff you're, you're posting. I love going through your stories you. and, and checking out your profile. Um, is that the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah. So everything I post on Instagram, I also post on Facebook. Um, So my Instagram handle is Hallie, H-A-L-L-E-Y dot Kim and then a underscore. Mm -hmm. And then my Facebook one is slightly different. I don't know. For some reason, Facebook pages are weird and it didn't like any other name that I wanted to use. It's just it's Hallie underscore Kim, and it's all the same content that I put on Instagram. Awesome. Well, yeah, I know some people are stuck in the dark ages and still on Facebook, so they'll they'll be they'll appreciate. Yeah. It. Some of the people <laughs> I have on, because most people I meet through Instagram, they're like, I'm only on Instagram, and then people complain to me, and I'm like, that's ah, not my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sometimes I wonder why like why I still post on Facebook. It, it I always get like there's like six likes, and on Instagram there might be like a hundred, and I'm like, what's it's, happening here? It's a different world, isn't it? Yeah. I've got it like is. twice as many people follow me on Facebook and I probably have about a tenth of the engagement. Um, yes. It's, yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Weird. Really yeah. Weird. But I also have amazing. a blog um, that's a bit neglected, but it's halliekim.com. Awesome. Perfect. I'll get that on there as well. So I'll make sure those are in the show notes for people. Wonderful. Um, wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank I, fi- you, I enjoyed Phil. finally meeting you. We've chatted so much on, uh, yeah. on Instagram. It's nice to yeah. have a proper face to put to the person. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Same. All right. Well, have a good day. And uh, I'll speak to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Phil. Bye. Bye. All right. That was Hallie Kim. I hope you enjoyed that. I love talking with Hallie. I could have talked with her for a lot longer, I think. Um, what an amazing journey. Um, what an amazing place it's brought her to. I'm really glad it's brought her here. Um, I personally really enjoy her stuff on Instagram. Again, it's Hallie.Kim underscore. Um, or you can check Facebook if you're a Facebook person. Um, I think it's Hallie W. Kim. Uh, I don't know if that's different from what she said on the podcast. I just checked and that's definitely what it is on Facebook, Hallie W. Kim. Um, or her website, HallieKim.com. Um, you can check out her stuff there. Um, you know, go enjoy all that, learn from that and um, shoot her a message on Facebook or Instagram and let her know that you love uh, the podcast. I'm sure she'd appreciate that as well. 
Um, but yeah, that's all from Hallie. And uh, maybe have her back on. I don't know. I really enjoyed that. Um, I think she'd have a lot more to say, I'm sure, if we uh, picked a few more topics and explored them. Um, but for now, that's all. If you are deconstructing and you, <clears throat> excuse me, and you feel alone in that journey, do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a great place for people to um, discover other people in their local area that are deconstructing and hopefully start to make some new connections and, um, and rebuild community, which is a, a real painful loss for a lot of people as they um, deconstruct. Often they leave their churches, their friends, even family. Um, and so deconstructionnetwork.com is a great place to go to um, check out that. And we're also doing ongoing um, uh, research surveys that you can um, take part in if you want. It's optional. Um, and putting out some helpful data to change the narrative about who deconstructing uh, Christians are. Uh, thegracecourse.com is a great place to go as well with lots of free teaching from me. It's also an opportunity for you to uh, give if you'd like to. Um, thegracecourse.com has kind of a Patreon uh, option where you can um, sign up to donate monthly um, for as little as $5 a month. And that helps me pay the bills um, because everything's for free. I don't really have much else to offer you. We do a monthly partners call on Zoom and that's about it. But uh, you can do that if you want. Anyway, that's all from me. Love you guys.